Hey, welcome back to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, December 31st, 2023, and I'm here with just a few thoughts on the eyesore that was Ohio State's disappointing 14-3 loss to number 9 Missouri in the Cotton Bowl on Friday night. So I want to start with some big picture thoughts, and actually that's where I want to keep my focus, primarily on the big picture. Then I'll share just a few observations from the game itself, but I think beyond that, I don't think what we saw on Friday night from Ohio State, especially on offense, really requires a ton of examination. Now in our preview pod on Tuesday, I had said with all due respect to how Ohio State coaches and players had been talking about the game, in the grand scheme, the Cotton Bowl was nothing more than a meaningless exhibition game. And I was choosing to view it as merely the start of the 2024 preseason. And that's the way I'm still viewing it. It would be disingenuous of me to call the Cotton Bowl meaningless. And now that Ohio State lost the game, try to tell you that the program is now at some low point in its history it can't recover from. That's what a lot of fans will have you believe. That's what some fan sites will have you believe. But I don't think that's where we are. I mean, look, sure, I wanted Ohio State to win the game. I always want them to win, no matter what. And I was mildly disappointed in the outcome. But look, Ohio State's 2023 season ended on November 25th in Ann Arbor with the loss to Michigan. And starting November 26th, the next nine months should have been about preparing for the 2024 season. I don't think this loss in the Cotton Bowl should change much in the way we should be viewing this team going forward and going into next year. I mean, look, we went into the game with major questions about quarterback for the 2024 season. Those questions still remain. We went into the game believing Ryan Day probably needed to make a couple of changes to his coaching staff before next season. What we saw on Friday night certainly reinforced that belief. So now that the 2023 season is officially over, I got a few big picture thoughts I want to run by you. First, I think coaching changes at quarterback coach, special teams coordinator, offensive line coach and strength and conditioning coach can certainly all be justified. Now, I'm not sure Ryan Day will actually make all those changes, but I think he can easily justify them if he does. Now, I expect quarterback coach Corey Dennis, whose contract is now up, and special teams coordinator Parker Fleming, I expect both of them to be shown the door in the coming in the coming days. I mean, Dennis, let's face it, he was a nepotistic hire. He is the son-in-law of Urban Meyer. He was never qualified to be a full-time assistant at a program like Ohio State. I mean, you even had Dave Biddle of Bucknot say after the game on Friday that Dennis skipped a team meeting last week to attend a country music concert in the Dallas area. I mean, I kind of think that tells you everything you need to know about Corey Dennis. And if you look at how utterly unprepared Lincoln Keenholz was on Friday after he had to go into the game when Devin Brown was injured, you know, understanding, of course, that he's only a true freshman and his offensive line didn't play very well. I still think that's a huge indictment of Dennis that Keenholz looked so unprepared to play on Friday night. And, you know, look, we've been talking about Parker Fleming on this podcast for the last two seasons. Ohio State special teams has been anything but that. And the play of that unit over the last two seasons has consistently made it more difficult for everyone else to do their jobs. I mean, it makes no sense to employ a full-time special teams coach anyway. Most other programs do not waste a full-time coaching position on special teams. I think you fire Fleming right away. You use that full-time position on James Laurinaitis. I also think it's fair to question whether Justin Fry 
is the right man to lead Ohio State's offensive line. That unit was the weak link of this team all season. I mean, the fact that there was no succession plan for Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones, I mean, I know that was largely pinned on Fry's predecessor, but look, Fry is the man holding that post now. And he had opportunities to make meaningful upgrades to the offensive line during last offseason through the portal. And the best Fry could do were Josh Simmons, who is at best a serviceable offensive tackle, and Vic Cutler, who was unplayable and who just transferred to Louisville. <laughs> Finally, on Friday night, Doug Marie said something that I think I agree with. Maybe it's just time for a new voice at Strength and Conditioning Coach. I think I agree with that sentiment. Now, many others have questioned Mickey Marotti's methods and have pinned a lot of the soft tissue injuries Ohio State players have suffered over the last two seasons to Marotti's strength and conditioning program. I don't know how to assess that, but it sounds right to me. And yeah, I think I agree with Doug Maurice. Maybe it's just time for a new voice uh, at that position as well. I mean, I'm less certain about Marathi and Justin Fry being shown the door than Dennis and Fleming. But again, I think Ryan Day certainly can justify firing all four of them. Also, you know, 2024, I think, is a make or break season for Ryan Day. I mean, after a third straight loss to Michigan and failing to qualify for the playoffs, I don't think a win over Missouri on Friday night would have changed that. And having said that, I don't think Ryan Day can risk quarterback on an inexperienced, unproven player next season. Not when he very well may get a commitment from the remaining draft-eligible juniors to come back and play for a national championship next season. And I think if that is the case, I don't think Day can risk wasting their final year of eligibility on an unproven player, a quarterback. It's damn unfortunate for Devin Brown that he got hurt with four minutes and 40 seconds to play in the first quarter on Friday night and didn't get a real shot at proving himself. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for him, I think what Ryan Day must do now is go into the portal and and bring in an experienced veteran quarterback next season to run the offense. And Will Howard of Kansas State seems to be the favorite to be that guy. Uh, there's a lot of buzz around Howard right now that he is on his way to Columbus. You you have uh, some Ohio State fan sites actually reporting that, although it's not yet confirmed. So that's another area, I think, that's another conclusion that I have um, about the program and the, the fortunes of the 2024 season. I also think Ohio State needs to make at least one offensive line upgrade through the portal. I think that should be an off-season priority. Uh, that isn't a new or original thought. I mean, Paige and I discussed offensive line upgrades a couple of pods ago. So that is another area uh, that I think another big picture thought I have for Ohio State going into the 2024 season. They do need to continue to make every effort to upgrade the offensive line. And I think you got to pull at least one starter caliber player out of the portal uh, for next season. And then about those remaining draft-eligible juniors, their NFL decisions, I think, loom very large for 2024. And I think those decisions are probably the difference between Ohio State being a title contender next year and not. Now, yesterday, Mike Hall Jr. announced his intention to enter the NFL draft. Uh, you know, it wasn't a surprise to hear Hall Jr. moving on. Uh, he just had a kid, I believe. Now, I think JT Tuimoloau, Jack Sawyer, who was awesome in the Cotton Bowl, Tyleek Williams, they are must-haves, uh, in my opinion. 
Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, Emeka Buka, Trey Henderson, and Donovan Jackson are the other remaining juniors to make decisions. I would I would also categorize Donovan Jackson as a must-have. Um, but then I would say, you know, Ibuka, Hancock, Burke. I think they would be nice to haves, not must haves, but I would obviously love to have them all back. But suffice to say, you know, I think Ryan Day needs to get most of those players back for Ohio State to really make a serious run at a national title next year. Finally, and this will lead me into a few observations from Friday night. I think Ohio State probably wins the Cotton Bowl by double digits and pretty comfortably if Kyle McCord plays. A lot of fans, I think, were entirely too dismissive of Kyle McCord in the season that he had. He, in my view, was a much better quarterback than people give him credit. I mean, one of only seven quarterbacks in program history to throw for more than 3,000 yards in a season. I said after McCord entered the portal, I didn't think it was something Ohio State fans should be celebrating, as they were on Twitter in, in very high numbers. Even though I do believe Ryan Day made the right call in not guaranteeing McCord the starting job for next season. But I, I wonder, you know, if McCord might be rethinking his decision. I mean, watching the Cotton Bowl, some fans were wondering, you know, were saying that McCord must have been celebrating. I don't know. If I were him, I might be regretting my decision to transfer to Syracuse because I don't think Brown or Keenholds showed us anything in the Cotton Bowl that would lead us to believe McCord couldn't beat both of them out in a competition for next year's job. And by the way, this is just an aside. If you're McCord or you're Julian Fleming or Chip Trainum, and you have NFL aspirations, but you want to play another season of college football to improve your draft stock, why wouldn't you have just waited until after the Cotton Bowl to transfer out? I mean, in the short term, for your NFL careers, what would be more important than putting up film for NFL scouts in a New Year's Six game against the top 10 opponent? I mean, why waste that opportunity? What are McCord, Fleming, and Trainum? what have they been doing since they transferred? Working out at the practice facilities at their new schools? Maybe working out with personal coaches? It's just a curiosity. It doesn't really impact Ohio State one way or another. But um, I would have thought, you know, playing in a New Year's Six game against the top 10 opponent would be a pretty, a pretty nice opportunity for players like McCord, Fleming, and Trainum. But I don't know. And then this also speaks to how messed up the calendar is in college football. I mean, why would you open the transfer portal when there are still games to play? Anyway, I digress. Okay. I'll end with just a few observations from the Cotton Bowl itself. First, I think the outcome of 14 to 3 loss to the Tigers, which, by the way, was Ohio State's first loss in a non CFP bowl game since the 2013 Orange Bowl, I think that result is largely the result of circumstances beyond the program's control. I mean, look, only four teams get to compete in a meaningful postseason in college football. Now, we know that changes next year, but that's the world we're still living in now. When you spend most of the season as a title contender in the top two of the CFP rankings, but ultimately fail to qualify for the playoffs, look, man, priorities change. Your generational talent at wide receiver, the Bolitnikoff winner, Marvin Harrison Jr., he decides to opt out. Unsurprisingly, that's what he should do. Your starting quarterback who threw for 3,100 yards, he makes other plans. He transfers to Syracuse. So too do some important glue guys for your offense. Julian Fleming and Chip Trainum, they transfer out. And, you know, as a result of that, there was good reason to question where the offense was going to come from on Friday night with all those players unavailable. 
And then with four minutes and 40 seconds to play in the first quarter, the next man up at quarterback, Devin Brown, goes down with an ankle injury. And by the way, it was not the ankle he had previously injured. It was his other ankle. Then you have to turn to a true freshman who was playing high school football in South Dakota at this time last year to try to win the game for you. It's very tough to win a football game against the motivated top 10 opponent under those circumstances. And I don't think we can draw any new conclusions about Ryan Day, about the offense, or about the program as a whole because they weren't able to deliver a W under those circumstances. I'm certainly not going to do that. And as we sometimes see in bowl games that don't have any real stakes, some players aren't maybe as motivated or focused as they normally would be. I mean, did anybody watch Florida State in the Orange Bowl yesterday? My God, they lose by 60 points to Georgia. So I think that explains in some in some measure the play of the offensive line, which was awful. And I'm not excusing it. I mean, anytime you put the uniform on, you should go out there and give it your all, play your best. But the reality is it's hard for kids to get up for these games when there aren't any real stakes. So my advice to Ohio State fans about the play of the offense on Friday night is flush it. As CP likes to say, etch a sketch it, forget it ever happened, burn the tape. It was not at all representative of what the offense was for 12 games during the regular season. It was not representative of what the offense is going to be next season. I mean, you even had Michigan defensive tackle Chris Jenkins say yesterday, quote, that ain't the team we played on the 25th of November. You feel me? Does that make sense? I mean, your rivals, y'all hate each other, but you want them to play good. And that was tough to watch, end quote. Yeah, I agree with Jenkins. That was not the team that Ohio State rolled out uh, in Ann Arbor to play Michigan on the 25th. Certainly that wasn't the offense that, that played against Michigan that day. So I would just caution any fan against trying to draw any conclusions about the future of the Ohio State offense from Friday night. And that's really all I have to say about the performance of the offense in that game. Now, on the other side of the ball, the defense was lights out. I mean, it looked like a championship unit. And the play of that group, I mean, it really underscores the importance of getting those draft-eligible juniors, namely Jack Sawyer, JT Tui, Molowau, and Tyleek Williams, to come back next season. I mean, the Buckeye defense held the Missouri offense to its lowest point total of the season, 14. That was 20 points below their season scoring average. They sacked Brady Cook six times. Jack Sawyer, who was dominant in this game, finished with three of those sacks. The Buckeyes held Missouri to four of 16 on third down. The secondary held Luther Burden III, Missouri's All-American slot receiver, to three catches on 15 yards. The Tigers star running back Cody Schrader finished with 128 yards rushing. Okay, but only at 4.4 yards per carry. That's a full yard and a half below his season average. That was the best offense Ohio State saw all season and the Buckeyes held them scoreless until the fourth quarter. I mean, if the Ohio State defense returns mostly intact next season, as many believe it will, the Buckeyes will be as good defensively as any team in the country and plenty good enough to compete for a national championship next season. All right, look, that's going to do it for me. I might try to wrangle Paige and Chad for another pod after all the NFL draft decisions are in and Ohio State has made a little noise in the transfer portal. So maybe look for another pod from us in the next couple of weeks. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Happy New Year and go Bucks. You've been listening to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.